Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Sadai. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Brain Tumor Foundation and Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Glioblastoma in Adults Treatment Updates. Um, and today's program is this wonderful collaboration between the Brain Tumor Foundation and Cancer Care. And you'll be hearing more about the Brain Tumor Foundation during the program itself. It's a wonderful organization for you. If you haven't already reached them, they're a great resource for you. Um, so today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. Now, we have lots of you on the program today. There are over 200 participants on the call today. We come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have on the call today some global participants from Canada, Denmark, India, Jordan, Italy, Malaysia, Nigeria, Poland, and the United Kingdom. So it truly is a global call, and we're delighted to have so many of you on the call today. Um, now, before I um, in introduce our first speaker, um, I would like to ask you a few questions. Um, um, and the reason I do that is to get a sense of really a better understanding of what you know um, as you come into the program. So it will help us as we plan programs in, uh, in the next year um, to, to be sure that we are tailoring the programs to best meet your, meet your needs. So the first question is on a scale of one to f and those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to see the questions and will be able to rate the questions as well. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand the current standard of care for glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand novel treatment approaches for glioblastoma, including immunotherapy and electric field treatments. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the role of rehabilitation medicine for glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. I understand how to manage treatment side effects and symptoms of glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. This will be the last question. I understand the role of clinical trials for glioblastoma in the context of COVID-19. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank all of you for participating in these questions. Again, it really helps us as we plan programs going forward that we best meet your needs. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Jeffrey Bruce. Dr. Bruce is Edgar M. Hospian Professor of Neurological Surgery Vice Chairman of Academic Affairs, New York Presbyterian, Columbia University Medical Center, Director Bartoli Brain Tumor Research Laboratory, Co-Director Brain Tumor Center. And Dr. Bruce will be addressing an overview of glioblastoma in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, current standard of care, 
novel treatment approaches, including immunotherapy, the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments, and key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Bruce. Thank you very much for that uh, introduction. Uh, I'm delighted to be here today on behalf of Cancer Care. I want to welcome patients out there struggling with their tumors and let you know that you're not alone. I also want to thank all of the friends and family members who are here today and also thank you for your generosity and support of, of your loved ones. Uh, this is certainly an unusual time for everyone. The COVID pandemic has created new challenges to patients coping with brain tumors, which we will discuss. Um, hopefully, you'll find this cancer care teleconference useful. I've, I've been associated with this terrific organization for many years and have been able to see firsthand how they provide such wonderful service for many patients and their families. For those of you who are suffering from brain tumors, they're a great source of education and support. This, this is an exciting time to be in the brain tumor field as there are many new advances in the diagnosis and treatment of glioblastoma. There are more scientists working on brain tumors now than any time in our history. Glioblastomas are what is known as primary brain tumors. That is, they begin in the brain and grow from within. This is distinct from metastatic brain tumors, which are tumors that have spread from elsewhere in the body into the brain. So glioblastomas are malignant brain tumors and are the most common type of brain tumor. They can spread to other parts of the brain or spinal cord, but rarely spread to other parts of the body. In other words, they're not really metastatic. They are invasive tumors, so most of the treatment is designed to control the tumor, tumor at the location in the brain where it actually begins or originates. Although there are researchers who are trying to determine what causes brain tumors, at this point, no one truly knows. It is clear that nothing you did caused your brain tumor, and there was nothing you could have done to prevent it. Glioblastomas are diagnosed when patients develop any of a number of symptoms. Some general signs of brain tumors include headaches, seizures, weakness, balance problems, personality changes, or nausea. And depending on where the tumor is located in the brain, one can have specific symptoms such as speech difficulties or confusion about the right or left side of the body, balance problems, uh, problems with fine motor functions such as writing or buttoning a shirt, problems understanding words or difficulty walking. Any of these symptoms can lead your doctors to suspect the brain tumor. And at that point, the diagnosis is usually made with an MRI scan. Of course, the biggest thing on everyone's mind is how COVID-19 is going to affect me and my brain tumor. You have all heard the warnings about the virus and the need for vaccinations. Uh, we'll cover more of this later in the tele teleconference, but I think overall uh, it's, you know, knowing that if you, especially if you're in the middle of treatment, that you have some higher vulnerability because your immune system may be compromised. And so it's very important to take the proper general precautions of uh, uh, trying to avoid uh, crowds, wearing a mask, but most importantly, getting all of the vaccinations and boosters that, 
that you're uh, uh, able to. And now, more than ever, it's important to stay as healthy as possible with a good diet, exercise, and activity, as well as addressing issues of, of things like stress. Let me, let me begin by talking about the standard of care for glioblastomas. The current standard of care relies on surgery, followed by six weeks of radiation, and then chemotherapy with a drug called Temidar. In the treatment of glioblastoma, the goal of surgery is to try and remove as much of the tumor as safely possible. Depending on where the tumor is located, a surgeon may be able to remove most of it or only a small portion of it. In some cases, only a biopsy may be reasonable. The problem with these tumors is that they invade into the normal brain, so it's not possible to completely remove them. There are a variety of techniques and tools that make uh, surgery safer than ever. Surgery accomplishes two goals. One is to remove some of the mass effect on the brain that is causing problems. The other is to provide tissue to give to the pathologist so that he or she can make the diagnosis. Pathologists now have sophisticated methods of analyzing specialized molecular characteristics of the tumor, which can give an idea about prognosis and likely response to treatment. You may be familiar with some of these terms such as MGMT, methylation status, or IDH mutation. Once the surgery is complete, the patient's recovered, he or she will undergo 30 treatments of radiation therapy. This is generally given Monday through Friday for six weeks. It's generally painless, but some of the side effects can include hair loss, tiredness, and skin irritation. Radiation damages the DNA in tumor cells that causes tumor cells to grow. The amount of radiation given is designed to have the maximal effect on killing tumor cells while avoiding damage to normal brain tissue. Chemotherapy is given as well. The standard chemotherapy is a drug called temozolomide, otherwise known as Temidar. This drug has shown to be effective at slowing down tumor growth. It's sometimes given during the radiation and sometimes given after. In any event, it is effective in any manner that it is given. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this has never been a better time for brain tumor research. A variety of new treatments are being developed. The ones that people are most familiar with are different types of chemotherapy and the very promising areas of immunotherapy. There are many new drugs being developed all the time that are designed to target the growth of brain tumors. Some of the novel treatment approaches include ways to alter the chemotherapy so it gets better penetration into the brain. Also, many of these drugs are designed to have less side effects and to be more effective at killing tumor cells. With the advances in molecular biology techniques, scientists have been able to determine very detailed molecular and genetic analysis of individual tumors. This has led to a lot of excitement into the area of so-called personalized therapy. What this means is that scientists can analyze a given tumor and determine what parts of the tumor that are causing the growth that are different from other people's tumors. And with that in mind, it may be possible 
to develop special drugs that target these individual problems and the given person's tumor. This work is very preliminary and it has not been developed to the point that it can be mass produced for every individual, but that it is hopefully something on the horizon. Other types of tumors that are designed to affect blood vessels in the brain or to block invasion of the brain are all, all new treatments in, in development. Additionally, there's some new areas of drug delivery that are being tested, including a strategy known as convection-enhanced delivery, where high doses of the drug are pumped directly into the tumor and into the surrounding brain tumor, brain tissue. Finally, there are some new developments in everything from gene therapy and the use of viruses to attack certain parts of the tumor. These treatments are part of a trend known as biological therapies, where specialized viruses or bacterias and the products from them can be used to kill cancer cells. These sophisticated treatments have been worked out in research laboratories for many years and are just getting into the clinic now. We're holding out a lot of hope because they represent entirely new approaches to treatment. Along those lines, one of the very promising areas for brain tumors is the field of immunotherapy. These are treatments that use vaccines and other strategies to help the body's own immune system to eliminate the tumor. The immune system in human beings is remarkable. It's what allows you to get rid of viruses and bacteria that cause the flu and other types of infections. And basically, the immune system recognizes viruses and bacteria as sort of foreign invaders, which are then destroyed by the immune cells in the body, just like the old Pac-Man video games. Interestingly, the immune system recognizes tumor cells like glioblastoma as a foreign invader and responds by stimulating an immune response. Unfortunately, the tumors grow faster than the immune system can destroy them, so much of the research now is in designing new vaccines or drugs that can boost the immune system response. Most of the immunotherapy work is still at a very early stage, but these results are very provocative and promising. Most promising areas include the use of vaccine made from parts of the tumor itself or the harvesting and expansion of powerful immune cells such as T cells or dendritic cells that attack the tumor. One of the newest highly personalized immunotherapies is called CAR T-cell therapy where CAR stands for chimeric antigen receptor. This treatment takes T cells, a type of immune, which are a special type of immune cell from the patient's blood, and alters them so that they bind to a certain protein known as an antigen on the, on the patient's cancer cell. These CAR T cells are then grown in large numbers in the laboratory and then infused back into the patient. The goal is to make these T cells better at recognizing brain cancer cells and also to make them more powerful in killing the, the cancer cells. There are also a number of very promising drugs involving immunotherapy and those drugs that boost the immune system. You may have heard of something called checkpoint inhibitors, which are among the pro most promising of these types of immune drugs that are being tested. Immune modifiers are being given in combination with other immunotherapies such as vaccines. So switching gears a little bit, uh, the COVID pandemic has brought new challenges to providing quality care. One of the positive things that have come out of this has been the increased use of telemedicine appointments. 
although sometimes there is no substitute for actually seeing a patient in person to be able to communicate effectively, at the same time, many encounters with your physician do not need to be in person. We've greatly expanded the use of telemedicine. The big advantages are saving the time and effort that it takes to go to drive to the doctor's office, find and pay for parking, and wait in the office. This also makes it difficult for family members to accompany them. So telemedicine has made it very easy to communicate with patients and their families. The quality of the video and audio has improved dramatically and has been a real benefit for managing patients safely. As the pandemic subsides and people become vaccinated, it will become safe to have more in-person visits. However, I predict that many patients will still choose to do many of their visits by telemedicine since it's so much easier to do. Uh, let me end by talking about quality of life concerns. Uh, I want to talk about communicating with your healthcare team. First of all, it's important to seek reputable specialists. It is also helpful to find people who are specialists specifically in brain tumors. It's easier than ever to find these people with the use of the internet. Also, by working with support groups and groups like Cancer Care, this can be easily accomplished. So here are some of the questions to ask when you visit with your healthcare team and your doctor. Um, first, what options do I have for treatment? What are the risks and most common side effects? Should I have a second opinion? Do I need to start treatment right away? What is the most effective way to communicate with you and your team? So it's important to have some control over your lifestyle given the inconveniences of seeing doctors and getting tests and treatments. So keeping a notebook or using a smartphone to jot down notes and reminders will help you to make sure that you're not overwhelmed by dealing with your condition. This way, when you see your doctor, you can make sure that your questions are answered and you can make sure that your instructions are understood. You may also want to make sure that your other health professionals, such as your primary care doctor, are kept informed so they can coordinate your overall care. It's important to keep an honest dialogue with your family so that they understand what you're going through and can help you make decisions. Also, be skeptical of anecdotes, no matter how well-meaning. There are no two patients who are exactly alike, and I would be careful about trying to apply something you have heard about another patient to your specific case. It also may be useful to have second opinions if time is available. Having other opinions can help refine and formulate your questions. It's important to have it's important to work with your healthcare team and friends and family so that you can maintain the highest quality of life possible. This is very doable. Just because you have a brain tumor, no one is saying that you can't visit a mall, enjoy a birthday party, have a nice meal, or see a good good movie. It's important to continue to live your life to the highest degree possible despite any diagnosis or side effects that you may be suffering. This is by far the best way to cope with your tumor. Okay, I'm going to stop here and turn the program over to Dr. Eric Wong. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Bruce. That was really an outstanding uh, presentation and a wonderful setting the stage for today's program and a wonderful message to people about the quality of life being so important as well. Um, so thank you, thank you so much. Um, I'm sure there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Dr. Eric Wong. Um, and Dr. Wong is Professor of Neurology, Medicine, neuro Neurosurgery, and Radiation Oncology, the Warren Albert 
Medical School of Brown University, Director of Medical Neuro-Oncology, Rhode Island Hospital. And Dr. Wong will be addressing tumor treating fields, clinical trial updates, how research contributes to your treatment options, managing symptoms, treatment side effects, discomfort, and follow-up care in the context of COVID-19 resilience, the role of rehabilitation medicine, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments with your healthcare team, including technology, list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Well, thank you, Carolyn. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to join Dr. Bruce, and thank you, Dr. Bruce, for uh, making that introduction. I just want to reiterate something that Dr. Bruce said. Um, uh, at this time, we have um, we have a lot of scientists, engineers, surgeons, as well as oncologists who are working on uh, understanding glioblastoma and also developing treatments for glioblastomas. And one of the treatments is to, is are the uh, tumor treating fields. And this is a device. And this device involves shaving the patient's head, putting on four arrays on their scalp, and um, and there's a um, um, portable electric field generator that they carry. And this device was approved almost uh, a decade ago, uh, in 2011, uh, for recurrent glioblastoma, and then in 2015, it was approved for use for newly diagnosed glioblastoma. And um, the way that it works is that uh, the tumor cells uh, division is interfered by these electric fields, and these electric fields are actually alternate alternating electric fields just below the radial frequency. Since then, there have been multiple mechanisms, and we have gained increasing understanding of how it works. So in addition to interfering with the mitosis or cell division of the tumor cells, it also increases the permeability of tumor cells, it blocks migration of the tumor cells, and it impairs the tumor cell's ability to to repair the DNA. And lastly, uh, it dovetails on the immunotherapy uh, that we are uh, trying to develop and tumor treating fields kind of sensitizes the tumor cells to immune therapy. So back in 2015 and 2017, uh, there was a large randomized clinical trial called EF14 in which patients were randomized uh, uh, to have tumor-treating fields together with radiation and temozolomide versus those who, are, who were treated with radiation and temozolomide alone. And patients who received the tumor-treating fields lived longer, and their disease progression was delayed for a significant amount of time. But in order to get the maximum benefits from tumor-treating fields, patients have to use the device for more than 75% of the time. And this is based on uh, a retrospective analysis of the trial subject uh, in that large clinical trial. There's also an engineering aspect to the device. And over the years, uh, the, the, the weight of the electric field generator has come down. 
uh, initially it was about seven pounds and uh, then to five pounds and now is uh, it's just about three pounds and patients can wear to work outside the home or if they want to do outdoor activities even traveling on a plane is possible as long as you follow the FAA guidelines so thinking back to the decade of 2000 when I was uh, participating in the clinical trial. Um, uh, I, uh, I did not know that tumor treating fields uh, was uh, a benefit for patients, uh, but a lot of patients were, were uh, participating in this, and those were the first beneficiary of this new treatment. So, so I just want to spend a little bit of time in order to in order to tell you various types of clinical trials because this is important for you to participate in because um, when you participate in clinical trials, you will be getting the latest treatment. And clinical trials in general come in three phases, phase one, two, and three. But there are special situations and there are clinical trials that are called phase zero trials and phase four and phase four studies. And I will also go over that a little bit later. So whenever there's a new treatment coming out, uh, it goes into phase one testing because initially we do not have a lot of data on patients. So the purpose of a phase one trial is to establish the toxicity profile of the new treatment. And this new treatment can be a drug, it can be a device, it can be a surgical procedure. And for a drug, for example, uh, we try to establish the maximum tolerated dose um, and so, um, uh, so that uh, it will give the biggest benefits to patients. Or for a device, uh, what are the initial safety data? And then uh, if it is deemed safe, it will proceed to a phase two study in which in a small number of patients, we are trying to get a rough idea of how much benefit um, it is uh, for our glioblastoma patients. And if it is still look promising, then it will go to phase three testing. And a phase three trial is usually usually has two arms and patients are randomized to either the experimental arm or the conventional arm. And phase three clinical trial is the definitive trial before the approval by the Food and Drug Administration. Now, uh, there are these special situations in which uh, there are these trials called phase zero trial in which uh, they are even very, very preliminary. When there's a drug that comes on board and we just want to ask the question whether or not it hits the target. And this type of trial uh, was in use for, for targeted therapy in which, um, in which for example, uh, a drug that blocks the epidermal growth factor receptor or any kind of tyrosine kinase receptor. And we just want to see whether or not it is, um, it is penetrating the brain and also hitting the target. And this is because our brain is a special organ. It has a barrier called the blood-brain barrier. And it has a function and, to, and it is to exclude toxins. Well, a lot of the chemotherapy drugs, a lot of the targeted therapies um, are 
looked at by this barrier as toxins, so they are excluded. And sometimes we have to make sure that it can cross the blood-brain barrier into the brain and into the tumor in order to carry out its, uh, its effect. On the, at the other end of the spectrum, a phase four trial, uh, some, sometimes patients may encounter a phase four trial. This is after a phase three trial in which um, uh, this is usually mandated by the Food and Drug Administration to gather additional safety data. And there are in special situations that there are additional safety um, uh, concerns or unforeseen serious side effects that come out from after a randomized phase three clinical trial. So I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about managing symptoms. And patients with glioblastoma usually gets a surgery first. And before radiation can start, the wound has to close. And this usually takes about two to four weeks. And patients are usually asked not to get the wound wet. And um, and um, and the staff who work with um, and expert surgeons like Dr. Bruce will, will, will give you plenty of advice about how to take care of the wounds. During radiation, your scalp can become red and itchy, but there are... Uh, uh, creams that you can apply to the scalp that can help to um, to lessen the discomfort. Uh, they are called aquifer creams, and your radiation oncologist can prescribe that to you. And then um, after radiation or even during radiation, uh, patients will be prescribed chemotherapy. And the most common chemotherapy is temozolomide. This is a pill, and patients take it at home before they come to uh, the hospital for radiation or at home um, uh, alone after radiation. And this is very well tolerated, but sometimes patients encounter nausea, vomiting, and constipation. This medication can also drop your white blood cells, and these are infection-fighting cells, and platelets, and these are cells that help you to form a clot. And therefore, patients have to have a complete blood count once a week in order to make sure that their white blood cell count and their platelet counts do not drop too low. Um, uh, if it does, then uh, uh, your oncologist will need to interfere, will need to intervene by giving you some blood products or by giving you some hormones to boost the count. Another drug that we use quite often is called Avastin or Bevacizumib. And this is a drug that controls the blood vessels that are feeding the tumor. And at times it comes in handy because it decreases the brain swelling. It is usually administered every two to three weeks. Um, but this drug can interfere with wound healing. So uh, if you have any elective surgery that you that is necessary, you have to get the elective surgery done before this drug uh, is, is administered into you. It is also a drug that can potentially replace the use of desimethasone. And uh, as, as uh, many of you in the audience uh, probably heard of desimethasone because this is a drug that we use to counteract swelling in the brain. But it also has a whole host of potential side effects, including insomnia, weight gain, type 2 diabetes, and impairing your immune system. 
So this is not a drug that you want to take long term or at high doses. So talk to your doctor about how to minimize your exposure to desimethasone. Now, during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, glioblastomas patients are particularly vulnerable because they are on desimethasone and desimethasone is an immune suppressant. So therefore, uh, I I always recommend patients to use as low a dose as possible and for as short a period of time as possible. As Dr. Bruce said, uh, you should get vaccinated and boosted. And I would um, I would tell my patients uh, to get a second booster shot as well because um, patients with glioblastomas are at are in a higher risk population. And if they are infected, and if they are infected with COVID-19, now there there is a drug for asymptomatic patients, uh, but who are infected, and it will decrease their chance of developing severe COVID-19 complications by as much as 89%. And the study was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine exactly one week ago, last week on April 14th. So this is a very, very, very important development. Now, as far as rehabilitation is concerned, there are two types, inpatient and outpatient rehabilitation. because uh, because of the tumor, patient may have motor problems, cognitive problems, and language dysfunction. And therefore, they may benefit from physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Now, some of the neurocognitive therapies are borrowed from patients with traumatic brain injury. And, um, and sometimes patients with uh, brain tumors can benefit from it. There's one particular drug that can help patients with brain tumors, and that is methylphenidate or Ritalin. It helps them to um, to concentrate better, and it helps their executive function, meaning that there are certain things that we do on a daily basis that we don't even think about it, like pouring a cup of coffee. But uh, patients with brain tumors, they may have difficulty in doing that because they have to think of every step. Uh, Ritalin or methylphenidate can help them to speed up the process. Exercise is good, and I always recommend exercise for our patients because uh, it will maintain their metabolic fitness. And and when we exercise, our brain actually produces endorphins, which, which are natural analgesics. And interactions with family and friends are important in order to uh, to help with uh, emotional well-being. Pet therapy is uh, a form of therapy that uh, is is potentially helpful. Now, I just want to touch on a little bit about telehealth visit. Um, um, and there are two types, phone or video. And I would strongly recommend you to do a video uh, telehealth visit uh, so that your doctor can get a visual assessment of you. I, um, I, I'm sure that many of you have an iPhone or iPad, so, that's, so that should not be any problem. Um, because you are at home, there's no staff to do the usual checkup when you come to the clinic, like taking a temperature, checking your heart rate or blood pressure. But, um, 
but you can have a thermometer at home. You can buy a one of these uh, automatic um, blood pressure checker or uh, a pulse checker uh, from CVS Pharmacy or Walgreens Pharmacy. Um, uh, have your medications ready so that you can tell your doctor. And particularly, um, when uh, a video is better because um, because uh, you, uh, uh, the doctor can observe the spelling on the bottle and also the, the schedule. The video can also allow your doctors to um, to take a look at you physically. And lastly, you should write down your questions and do not do it from memory. And then you ask your doctors about um, about questions that concerns you. So, um, so these are my comments, and um, and I would be very happy to answer any questions that you have. And I'll turn the podium to um, back to Carolyn. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful presentation, and also just the um, excellent presentation about. The, tele the details about telehealth, telemedicine appointment to make it work for people. Um, and um, so thank you so much. And our next um, speaker is, uh, is Dr. Barbara Lavelli. And uh, Ms. Lavelli is a board trustee, finance committee, Brain Tumor Foundation. She is our partner um, on this program today. The Brain Tumor Foundation is a partner on today's program. And um, she will describe the Brain Tumor Foundation's free programs and events and um, explain to you how to, how to contact the Brain Tumor Foundation. It's my great pleasure. And for those of you who haven't, some of you on the call, of course, are already connected to the Brain Tumor Foundation. But if you're not, um, she will um, give you information so that you can very much connect and access the services from them. It's now my great pleasure to send this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Lavelli. Thanks very much, Carolyn. Um, I'm delighted to be part of the workshop today to give a little more information about the Brain Tumor Foundation. Uh, we've been in, in existence for over 20 years, and one of our most important missions is that of early detection. Um, in 2008, we began an unprecedented campaign in New York offering free brain scans in underserved communities. And the program was such a hit that uh, we took it nationwide to Boston, Philadelphia, D.C., Las Vegas. Um, although it's been put on hold due to the pandemic, uh, we intend to be on the road again in the next few months. And another exciting aspect um, over the last couple of years is that there is a newly developed and FDA-approved portable MRI machine. So it's much smaller than what we had used in the past. We had a huge 18-wheel uh, or tractor trailer that we took across the country. So given with the new technology, we'll be able to uh, screen faster and expand our reach and accessibility. So we're very excited about that. Um, the results of these scans are part of a sanctioned IRB study with Wiles Cornell and New York Presbyterian. Uh, where we hope to ascertain the epidemiology of brain tumors, whether it's environmental, genetic, or some other unidentified cause. Uh, the most recent initiative of the BTF is our Kids app. It's an innovative approach to help ease the fears and anxieties that children face when they are diagnosed with a brain tumor. The app actually guides the child through the issues that he or she will be facing from treatments to many of the tests and scans they will have to undergo. It even brings the child into the MRI machine so that the loud noises and close quarters won't be so frightening to them when they actually go in real life. 
And it also includes a guide for parents. It helps to teach them how to best be there for their child and to help them navigate this, what is a very scary time. Um, and it will soon become part of a research project focusing on how to best treat the emotional aspects of children uh, with a brain tumor diagnosis space. Uh, one of our other uh, most important missions is to support the patient and their family by addressing their immediate needs. Um, I know this from experience when my husband had come home from his neurologist appointment and said he had a brain tumor and we just kind of stared at each other and said, like, what is that and what on earth do we do? Um, so the BTF is full of wonderful resources from educating patients and families about brain tumors in general uh, to providing medical referrals, um, information regarding clinical trials, even insurance tips and some financial advice. Uh, we also offer support groups to address the emotional needs of the patient and the caregiver. Uh, currently, there's a group for patients that meets to be a Zoom every Tuesday for 12 weeks and a 15-week online group for caregivers. Uh, these support groups are run by licensed social workers, and they're done in partnership with uh, Cancer Care. There's also currently in development a virtual support program for parents of children with brain tumors, as well as a virtual group for non-malignant brain tumor patients. And finally, we also host informational events such as Brain Tumor InfoCon. Uh, that was put on last summer, and it's now an annual virtual event. It features a panel of some of the leading neurosurgeons and neuro-oncologists and other experts in the field. And there were separate sessions uh, focused on adult, pediatric, and young adult patients and caregivers, and provides the opportunity for the participants to ask questions of professionals that they may not ordinarily have access to. So it's a great resource. Um, so I encourage you to visit our website uh, for further details about our programs and events, and that's at braintumorfoundation.org. And just finally, um, one of the events uh, closest to my heart is that we're a charity partner with the New York City Marathon. Um, I'm the captain of the team, and we're currently recruiting for our 2022 uh, team. Um, we've had amazing teams in the past, including uh, brain tumor patients, as well as friends of the brain tumor community. So if there are any runners out there with the New York City Marathon on their bucket list, feel free uh, to visit the website and apply. Um, and that's it for the Brain Tumor Foundation. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Lavelli. That was really a wonderful presentation and lots of uh, events and programs going on there. Um, and um, and so, um, and please, if you haven't already visited the Brain Tumor Foundation um, website, please do, um, and um, the great resource for all of you. And I um, thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about cancer care, um, and uh, and um, and um, and then. Um, so I just want to. Um, uh, let you know about Cancer Care. Cancer Care is a national organization, and we provide free programs and services to people living with all cancers, including brain tumors, um, and people um, of all ages, and um, and um, and also for people who may be also in addition to patients. We also provide our services to caregivers of all ages and with all different relationships to um, the person living with cancer or brain tumors. Um, and so the question is, how do you access services? So we do have a hope line. It's 800-813-4444. Um, 
800-273-4673. And many people in the United States call that line and usually call with a specific question or need that they have. And then our social workers will be, the people picking up the phone will be an oncology social worker, and they will actually address your question or concern and also go over with you all the other services Cancer Care offers. So what are those services? So we do offer um, practical and financial assistance and co-payment assistance. Um, we also offer online support groups. Um, we offer um, case management services. So we actually, if we don't have the service ourselves, we will take you to um, organizations that can meet your needs. For example, people may have issues around food insecurity or housing issues, and we will be able to help you to access services in your community or regionally or nationally um, to help you with those particular needs. We also um, uh, provide um, these workshops and publications as well. And in addition to that, um, we also um, offer a host of other services and um, that you can access from our website. So those of you who are listening internationally, you can go to our website, um, www.cancercare.org, and post your question, and our oncology social work staff will certainly be happy to assist you. And now, before we go into the Q&A, um, I'm going to just ask you a few questions, and then um, I will... Uh, um, and then we will go into the Q&A. So please get your questions ready. I see some of you already begun to put in your questions. So we're going to start with some questions um, now. Okay, and um, so I'm going to uh, um, ask you, um, again, it's just a few questions. I'll take about two minutes. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the current standard of care for glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And again, those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to see the questions and will be able to um, rate your, the answers to the questions. Well, the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of novel treatment approaches for glioblastoma, including immunotherapy and electric field treatments. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the important role of rehabilitation medicine for glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with the healthcare team to use their tips and suggestions to prevent and manage treatment side effects and symptoms of glioblastoma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the, of the um, importance of participating in clinical trials for glioblastoma in the context of COVID-19. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank everyone for participating in these questions. And now we do have time for your questions for our speakers. So I'm going to actually... Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask Sadai to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. They're going to take as many of your questions as possible, Sadai. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. 
We have a question for one of our online participants, um, and this is for Dr. Bruce. Is there a method that rather than killing the tumor, just slows it enough for the immune system to eliminate it? Yeah, that's a great question. We are actually working on that in our own laboratory, and the idea is, so when you get a, a brain tumor, your immune system does react to it and will actually kill some of the tumor cells. The problem is that the tumor grows faster than the immune system can eliminate it. So if you can kind of alter that balance so that you can slow the tumor growth, it's very possible that the immune system will catch up to it. And that is the idea behind some of the drugs that we're giving to boost the immune system or to block the tumor's ability to slow down the immune system. And uh, we, there, there's some evidence to show if you can slow it down enough that maybe your own immune system will take over and actually uh, eliminate the tumor, or at least slow it down even further. So, yeah, we're very hopeful about that strategy. And this is another, it's related, um, slightly different, though, for Dr. Bruce. Um, since a robust immune system is very important to enhance the effectiveness of the immunotherapy, would it be better to skip the six cycles of chemo treatment and go directly to immunotherapy? Yeah, that's another great question. We don't know the answer to that. You know, some of the, some of the treatments that we give for brain tumors, such as chemotherapy, such as radiation, such as steroids, can actually have a negative effect on the immune system. Sort of the, the current understanding, though, is that those treatments are useful enough that it's, that it's worth potentially compromising the immune effects, at least for the short run. So the idea is that because we know radiation is effective and because we know that the temozolomide is effective, that it's better to use those treatments up front and then uh, consider adding the immune-type uh, treatments, which are, are, of course, experimental at this time, but adding them later on. So, uh, yeah, there's, there is a trade-off between using them, but right now that, that seems to be the better trade-off is, is to take, use the radiation and chemotherapy. That could change in the future if we get powerful immunotherapies and find that, that uh, these other treatments are, are um, inhibiting that, that, that may change. But right now, that's, that's not the case. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Great, 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 really great, great questions here. Thank you. And a question for Dr. Wong. Does the electric field treatment um, treat anaplastic astrocytoma brain cells? Is that treatment part of Novacure in Israel? Thank you. Yes, this is a very good question. And um, um, all tumor cells um, have only one way of growing, and that is by uh, cell division. So, uh, and they go from one cell to two cells, and tumor treating fields affect that particular process. So, um, there's no difference between um, glioblastoma growth and anaplastic astrocytoma growth. Now, uh, the reason why uh, the clinical trial was performed in glioblastoma is because there are more glioblastoma patients than uh, anaplastic astrocytoma patients. Um, and we can certainly get an answer a lot faster, but I do not see any reason that uh, it cannot be applied to anaplastic astrocytoma patients. Um, 
and uh, and as far and in addition, this type of um, uh, this type of therapy is being investigated in other types of malignancies, such as lung cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, and ovarian cancer. So it remains to be seen whether or not um, it also has a clinical benefit in these other types of malignancies, uh, but it is being studied right now. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. And for Dr. Bruce, my my father, who has glioblastoma, recently had a seizure causing memory loss. Is there anything I can do to help him? Well, um, as you know, there are many different types of seizure medications, and your father has probably been on some seizure medication. And uh, mostly what you try to do is uh, change to a, a different medication if that one's not working or increase the dose of the medication he's on. And I suspect your neuro-oncologist has already done that. As to the memory loss, um, it's, hard, it, it's hard to tell whether the memory loss is, is directly related to the seizure or not. Um, you know, it, it, I'd have to know more about your father's condition to really say whether it's something that's going to be reversible or whether that's going to stay the same. But most most problems that you have with a seizure uh, will usually resolve in anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. So uh, if, if you're within that time period, then maybe you just need to give it a little bit of time. Excellent. Thank you. That's a good question, I guess, to take back to treating healthcare team, um, which is true for many of your questions. Thank you. Um, so um, for Dr. Wong, what is the difference between occupational and physical therapy in helping my recovery process? Okay. Um, physical therapy primarily deals with um, uh, working with a physical therapist to develop strength strength uh, in an extremity such as strength in the leg, uh, strength in the arm. Um, Occupational therapy is more dealing with um, some of the more complex movements like uh, using um, uh, utensils during eating, uh, during meals, uh, such as um, 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 using the bathroom, um, and getting in and out of a car. So, um, and occupational therapy are more task specific uh, that has to do with activities of daily living, whereas physical therapy is primarily strengthening of certain muscles um, uh, and uh, getting patients balanced better. So that's the difference. And that would all fall under um, rehabilitation medicine, is that correct? Is that what all? Correct, correct. Uh-huh. So, um, for Dr. Bruce, when is it advisable to treat glioblastoma with only radiation and/or chemotherapy, as opposed to surgery and radiation chemotherapy? So, uh, it sounds to me like the question is, when is surgery? Uh, wh- what patients benefit from surgery? Well, yeah. that's on an individual basis. Most of the time. When we see a patient with a newly diagnosed glioblastoma, the goal is to remove the tumor as completely as as possible uh, from a safety point of view. So if you can safely remove the tumor, that's usually advisable because we find that 
the less tumor that you have, the better your response to treatment. That's a very generalization. It's not always true, but it's in true in general. There are some tumors that because of their where they're located, it, it would be difficult to safely remove the, the tumor. And as a rule of thumb, we see that the benefit of surgery occurs if you can remove at least 90% of the tumor. So if your tumor is in a, a, a difficult location, meaning that it's either deep in the brain or it's in an important part of the brain, such as your speech center or your motor center, uh, the surgeons may decide that it's uh, unlikely that they will be able to remove 90% of the tumor safely. And in those cases, then just a simple biopsy is all that's needed before radiation and chemotherapy. And uh, otherwise, if it's in a location where it, where the surgeon thinks he can safely remove 90% of the tumor, then, then the surgery is done first before the radiation and chemotherapy in order to remove uh, with the idea that the less tumor that's there, the more effective the treatment is likely to be. So this will be the last question for Dr. Wong. What are the different types of radiation for brain tumors? I'm confused about proton therapy. Are there different types? What about mm -hmm. protons? How are they involved? Yeah, um, I think patients uh, may encounter um, f um, three major types of radiation. The usual uh, radiation is, um, is the fractionated ionizing radiation called IMRT, Intensity Modulated Radiation Therapy, and there's a newer version called VMAT um, uh, uh, that is kind of also is a modulated type of um, radiation therapy that adjusts to the shape of the tumor. Uh, in addition um, to that, there are more focused type of radiation called stereotactic radiosurgery in which um, the maximum amount of radiation is delivered to the uh, area, to the target, with um, a very, very small margin at the edges. So with the conventional radiation for glioblastoma, the margin is a little bit wider, is about two centimeters. Um, but for stereotactic radiosurgery, that margin is much tighter, uh, under one centimeter. Now, the proton radiation is a specialized radiation, and the advantage of that is that the radiation does not come out on the other side of the brain. And the proton, it goes in on one side, and it will stop at the edge of the tumor. This becomes uh, important uh, for us. Uh, certain spinal cord tumors or tumors that are located near the eye or the nerve that go from the eye to the brain uh, and um, because we want to limit the amount of radiation to these important uh, structures such as uh, the optic nerve, um, uh, the, op the optic chiasm, or in in the case of irradiating the spine, uh, the radiation that goes from the back to the front because uh, the bowel is a very sensitive organ to radiation. So there are these special, special situations that uh, requires proton beam radiation. Uh, but most of the time, patients with glioblastoma, uh, the conventional radiation would suffice. 
and I'm sorry, one one late breaking question for Dr. Wong. Um, are there any negative side effects of the electric field treatments? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, any treatment that we give, uh, any treatment that we recommend um, has potential side effects. And one of the side effects of uh, electric fields is uh, irritation of the scalp. The scalp can become red and hot and inflame, and there are times that the scalp may break down. Um, whether or not uh, there are longer-term side effects in the brain associated with um, with tumor treating fields is unclear, because um, because um, we have not uh, had a clinical studies that follow patients long-term. I'm talking about more than a decade. So um so that remains to be determined um so um uh there are cells in the brain there are normal cells in the brain uh that do divide uh in adults and uh whether or not tumor treating fields will, will affect those dividing brain cells uh is unclear um but uh the goal of treat of using tumor treating fields to treat brain tumor is to get the tumor under control. So uh, I think that's the primary objective. And we have to get that under control uh, before um, uh, uh, before uh, we, we can actually monitor patients for the long-term side effects associated with it. Well, thank you so much. Um, I have to say this has been an extraordinary program. I actually want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank those of you who've asked questions. That have been really fantastic questions as well. Um, it gives um, all of you a chance to really get answers to your questions. And I know that we could go on for at least another hour because there's so many more questions in queue. So I want to address all of those questions and all the whole issue of the Q&A as well. So for those of you who got to ask a question, for those of you who have a question that you'd like to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of another question you'd like to ask, please take all of, all of you take your questions back to your treating healthcare team. They, of course, know you the best, and they will actually, um, they will be able to actually best um, address your questions because they know all about your specific situation. So even if you got to ask a question, please do take that question back to the treating healthcare team. You might see this as a role play of the questions you'd like to ask your, your healthcare team. And I think one thing you've probably learned from today's program that there are all your questions are wonderful. So don't ever hesitate to ask your healthcare team a question. You can see with the enthusiasm that our speakers brought to answering your questions, they welcome your questions. And um, that's true for every single one of you on this call today. So. Um, please do um, recognize that we hope that you've learned from this program today some uh, some things that will be helpful to you. But we also want to be sure that the, your learning is tailored to your specific um, situation um, with your brain tumor. So please take it back to tre treating healthcare team that they are the the best able to kind of um, help you further with that the questions that you asked. Um, also, with that being said. Um, I do want to leave you with a thought that you have your healthcare team, of course, to go to with any questions or concerns you have. Um, you also have the Brain Tumor Foundation and Cancer Care. And after today's program, you'll all be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation probably tomorrow. 
And in that evaluation, there will be questions. We appreciate your answering them, evaluating the program. But also, there will be all the resources that we mentioned today, the Brain Tumor Foundation, Cancer Care, and any other resources that we think that will be useful to you. In addition, um, you know, please um, recognize that um, your healthcare team is really there for you. And most importantly, know when they're available, because it seems to me often that people have questions in the evening and weekends and holidays and, and special times of the year. So be sure you know who is on call, who's available to you when you have a question or concern. What are you to do? And what, what, when do you call your doctor and when do you uh, need to go to the emergency room? And really check with your healthcare team. Have those answers, have that information available both to yourself and your caregiver and anybody else who's concerned about your care so you know exactly who to call after hours, weekends, holidays, all those other t vacation times. Just be sure you have those, those, um, uh, those numbers really prominently displayed on your refrigerator and your iPhones, everywhere you want to keep it so that you, everyone has that, that information. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. You've been a very informed group asking great questions, and um, we look forward to your participating in our future programs. Thank you all, and have a great day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.